Hi, my name's Kim Cole, and I'm your host of Real 510. Our podcast is dedicated to the stories of real buyers and real sellers in the East Bay residential housing environment in Northern California. Finding a solid investment to grow one half to several million dollars is a strategic and calculative exercise of wisdom and intuition. Now mix in the emotional meaning of home, your safety, your shelter, your memories. The task is daunting. The influences are great and there's no proven instruction manual. Join us as we explore the process, the challenges, and the triumphs of those who have successfully navigated the storm. Welcome to Real 510. Hi, this is your host, Kim Cole, and I'm so excited today to have kind of a long-term client and a friend, Brent Hansen. Brent has created a very successful business out of buying and selling single-family homes in the Bay Area. Hey, Kim. Thanks for having me on. So a little bit about me. I grew up in the Midwest in Minnesota. I'm a transplant of about 12 or 13 years. I joined the military right out of high school. I was stationed down in San Diego for four years. And then after my time in the Navy, I moved up to the Bay Area. Worked for a utility company for a long time, did construction for a while, did a whole host of things. And then in about 2013, 2014, I started getting into real estate investing, buying and selling houses. And that's when I met you and started working with you a little bit here and there. But yeah, that's kind of my background. It's cool. It's been a fun ride since I met you and kind of met you, I think, off of a sign that I had out in the... Longfellow neighborhood, as I recall. Yeah, I think I, I was driving around doing my driving for dollars thing and uh, saw your sign on a really distressed property that wasn't selling or wasn't on the market at the time. And it just kind of gave you a call and we sparked up a friendship from there, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, that was super, super cool. When did you actually buy your first home? I bought my primary residence. That wasn't really a, an investment, but that was just for my family in 2012. And then I think a year or so later is when I bought my first investment. I started flipping houses in the end of 2013 and then also wholesaling some houses too to other investors. So I started kind of getting into the mix around 2013. Man, you just like dove in. Yeah, it's kind of my style. (laughs) You have to do that in the Bay Area for sure. But there must have been a lot of I mean, obviously you had to have thought, okay, I made a personal investment and that was really good. Your first personal investment, was that a property you had to fix up at all? It was in decent condition. I did a major renovation to the exterior of the property all on my own. Probably added, you know, $100,000 worth of sweat and equity in that sense. And it kind of gave me the bug to, to get into flipping. But I've always had the idea of wanting to flip houses and buy and sell real estate. Was that because you watch them get rich quick <laughs> no, video really. or something? I've, <laughs> I've always been a, a crazy entrepreneur ever since I was a kid. I had a lawn mowing business when I was 12 through 18. I had 10 employees by the time I was 17. Holy was making smokes. $50,000 a summer just mowing lawns in rural suburbia, Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> and then 9-11 happened and I felt the urge to, to join the military and kind of quit my entrepreneurial stuff for a while. But even uh, while I was in the military, uh, I was finding you know other ways to make money. And then 
actually when I got out of the military and was working for a utility company doing construction, I uh, ventured off and, and had my own businesses on the side. You know, I had a plumbing business, I had a specialty earthquake valve business. I've always had some kind of business going on. So it's, it fits in well with, with uh, flipping houses because flipping houses isn't just what you see on TV. It's a full-scale business, you know, from marketing to financing and, you know, everything in, involved in, in flipping houses, construction. It's a, a full-scale business for sure. And so before you ever really started by buying your first home, did you, like, were there certain things you knew you had to set up first or education that you had to have? I think when I first got into flipping houses, I didn't just dive into it not knowing anything. Um, I had some quick books, how to flip houses for dummy type books, you know, just real simple stuff. I think the main book that really sparked my interest in in real estate in general was, it's pretty popular amongst entrepreneurs and real estate people, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, kind of gave you, switches your mindset a little bit on, on what's possible out there. Interesting. And was that, is that specifically about? It's not specifically about house flipping. It's just about changing your mind shift on, on how to make money, like kind of entrepreneurial uh, mind shift. That you're kind of in charge of your destiny yeah. type of thing? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Stuff like that. And then, you know, it ventured off from, you know, the flipping 101 books to seeking out some education. I got a mentor and then I started joining as many, um, you know, small mastermind type groups as I could and, and seeking out education that way. And there's definitely some, some platforms out there that you can pay for and, and learn about house flipping. But kind of the biggest help for me was uh, joining a, a large national mastermind group yeah. where we meet up quarterly. And, you know, there's, there's guys, guys and women in this mastermind group that they flip between 100, 200, 300 houses a year in their if you're in the mastermind group, they, they give you all their secrets and tips and all that yeah. stuff. So it's, it's a, just a big community of uh, real estate investors, and, and we share all the information that we can with each other, and it, it really helps. And were those the people in the mastermind group, were they people that were all in the Bay Area or in California? No, it's national. All sure. over the place. Yeah. Uh, the business looks a lot different in you know, Oklahoma or Florida yeah, compared to the Bay Area. I can only imagine. The Bay Area, we're lucky to get a house every month or every other month just because there's so much competition and the houses are expensive compared to Oklahoma or, or Minnesota where you can buy, you know, ten to $50,000 houses on the regular in the Bay Area. Obviously, that's not a possibility. Whoa. <laughs> and so, like, you could develop blocks at a time if yeah, you wanted there, to sure. or neighborhoods at a time. That's so interesting. I never thought about that. Plus, I, I use the same model that they use out here, kind of the same business model, just on a lesser volume scale. And it, it works. And so your mentor also was somebody who flipped homes? Right, yeah. He, um, he flips over 100 houses a year still uh, in Southern California, L.A., in the outer eastern counties of L.A. County. Okay. He's a, he's a big-time Southern California flipper. Which is a much less expensive area right. than where you're doing this. So that's... Yeah, it's, it's similar to like our, our valley, like Stockton or Modesto type thing. That's what, where he kind of specializes in L.A kind of that type of market. Okay, so you decide you're going to flip homes. You get yourself inspired and educated by getting with a group of mastermind people and a mentor. And, okay, now you're going to do this. And obviously you saw an opportunity knock, right? Right. What, the, on the first one. So do you remember what was that first home that you bought? The first house that I bought, I actually didn't flip it. I got it 
under contract and I did what was called wholesaling. Okay. So I had it under contract and then I sold it to another house flipper in exchange for knowledge on how he goes about flipping the house oh and, and some obviously a difference in money, a little bit of money. Uh-huh. Um, so I made a little bit of money there and then I saw how much he was going to make when he flipped it. Yeah. And so that kind of gave me the big bug to just really start getting into flipping. So I used that money and some other money that I had you know, saved up from previous businesses to basically start my house flipping business. That is so interesting. So you really just went to school on this person, and it cost you some money, obviously, to do it, the profit, but um, you learn so much by doing that. I think that's a really good point with people doing investment buying because our typical audience is going to be a buyer or a seller, but I know even a lot of our buyers that are buying their first home, they're looking at it very much in terms of an investment. And so maybe, you know, the secret to them getting their first investment is bringing in somebody else who's wiser and probably has a little bit deeper pockets to help them get into the deal because financials have to be a big piece of this, right? They're huge. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the Bay area where the, you know, the median, price here is probably seven hundred thousand dollars for for anything in oakland or the east bay is about seven to one point you know five it's kind of our east bay market and typically for an investment uh, if it's not going to be your primary residence you're going to need to come up with a pretty good chunk of change to to buy that place and maintain it um, so it's definitely you got to have your finances in order and find the right lenders uh, on things too. Yeah, yeah. So how do you, okay, so that's like a whole... That's a whole nother piece of the business, yeah. Yeah, so in my line of work in real estate investing and flippers, there's a whole subsect of lenders out there that, that lend on house flipping. And then you build a relationship with one particular lender and they start to slowly but surely give you better rates and better deals and better you know, product, basically. But on your first flip, or your first couple flips, they give you really terrible rates and, and lots of points and it's just a mess so what's it can, give an example of what <laughs> what rates are on your first so first deals if, if my first deal was i think the purchase price was about three hundred fifty thousand, and i had to put 10 percent down which isn't too bad uh, but i had to come up with all the rehab funds on myself um, but i think the interest rate was 12 percent, and i had paid four points holy smokes oh <laughs> so my god it's just insane but now after doing 40 plus deals with over, over the last few years, my rates are in the 8% and my particular lender now, they come up with 100% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab funds. I basically come out of pocket almost nothing on each deal. And that allows me obviously to do, you know, four to six at a time, which at, at any given point, um, because you can carry them. You can make those payments. Because do you start making payments right away on a yeah, immediately, construction yeah. loan? Okay. Yeah, construction loans are, are different than uh, your, your regular mortgage loan. It, it just occurs immediately, and you got to start paying that interest. Yeah. That's, where, that's where those type of lenders make their money, is on the, uh, the interest payments. And what about the repayment? Like, is it a short-term loan? Is it due within? Yeah, you can, you can dictate between 6 and 12 months. Okay. Uh, most of those lenders don't really care if you go over because they're just still making their, their money on, on that. But construction loans are, are definitely a lot different than your standard mortgage. You don't need to come up with a huge backstory on why you need the loan. They just take each particular deal into account and, and just look at it like that. As long as it's a good, strong deal, they, they'll lend on it. 
Yeah. But yeah. once you build up a good relationship with, with a lender, they basically just lend on, on whatever I bring them. Because basically it's private money that they're getting you. This isn't something that has to go through a formal loan application. I mean, obviously you're filling out a loan application, but not like a Wells Fargo or... No, it's a, just basically like a hedge fund. Yeah. They're managing a hedge fund and, and one particular subsect of that is, is investing in house flipping. Mm-hmm. Or they, they have like a commercial section too where they you know, the lend on apartment buildings and, and so on. So it's really personal. Like they're, right. it's, they are betting on the fact that you're going to do well on this property. Right. That's kind of cool. That's almost like being a prize fighter out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, I'm sure it's fun for those guys. I'd be nervous because I know that not every house slipper gains a lot of knowledge and they, they lend on first and second time house slippers and, and they, you know, go in foreclosure too and, they can lose money and get messed up that way. Yeah. They actually, my current lender actually sells me foreclosures on properties they foreclose on from other investors that mess up. They just couldn't. <laughs> yeah, they don't they know what they're doing. They couldn't do yeah. it. Yeah. And I mean, a key part of the lender lending to you and you obviously making it or not making it is really estimating what your costs are going to be. Yeah. And those things that you're that are unforeseen, right? When right. you're, I mean, yeah, that's I was, scary. That's got to be the scariest part of this. Whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I build in a a ten percent reserve on each property just for the unforeseen. Knock down a wall, and you see some funky nineteen twenties framing that all has to come out if the city sees it. So that's always built in. It only has to happen to you maybe once or twice on a project. And then you, you kind of build that in going forward because it's happened. Yeah. It happens on almost every house that's built before, you know, 1990 or 1985 that something comes up that's just insane and you have to spend a week fixing it. You know, it's funny. I, I mean, this is not all that different than the average person buying their first home, particularly if it's a home that's a little bit older, needs some work in it. And I mean, it could be newer for that matter and maybe needs some work for one reason or another. But I always advise our buyers that everything can be fixed. Everything. I, I boil everything down to, I mean, I've bought some of the worst houses you've you can ever imagine. Everything is boiled down to a house is just four walls and everything can be brought to the most beautiful house you've ever seen from, you know, the, the worst house you've ever seen. So if you're ever in a situation where you just bought a house and something isn't going right or it, it's messed up, I mean, it's just boiled down to, it's just four walls. It can be repaired. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. No. There's always a solution. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about services that you use in terms of the lender. Are there any other professional services that you employed during this process or found along the way that you needed to employ during this process? Yeah, the the other services that I employ besides construction, I do all my own in-house construction, everything except for possibly like we we have about like roofing, uh, but everything else we do in-house. We have our own electrician, plumber, and all of our own general contractor type guys. But the, the main services that we service out is I don't like doing any paperwork or anything office related. So I employ you for most of my real estate transactional stuff. Excellent um, taste there. Yeah. Yes. Title company handles everything for me from 
the buying and selling when I do off-market properties. I literally just send them the, the purchase agreement, and they kind of take care of everything. Old Republic title company, they'll just take care of everything for you for the, you know their standard fee. They're really good on the off-market type of projects. Um, just ensuring like that the buyer is the buyer, the seller is the seller, right. it has good title. Yep, they, they bring up the, the title report, and they prepare all docs for... For pretty much everything. A lot of people kind of get scared of an off-market purchase or an off-market sell. When you're doing a real estate investment, it, it's a good strategy. Um, it's a good thing to employ because you can maybe get a different type of deal. You can get a you know, better price or, or a property that you would never get in a million years if it hit the market because there's too many, too many buyers for it. So it's another avenue that we we go out there and look for is the off-market thing. And it's kind of scary and a little daunting your first few times trying to process that when you have no idea how to legally do it. Right. Um, so it's really important to have like a good title company. And we, I built up a very strong relationship with, with my title company to where I just drop off the purchase agreement and they take care of everything. That's a huge thing for, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, that's huge, huge, huge. So you really haven't had to hire a lawyer or any of those. Yeah. I have a real estate lawyer. They prepare my, purchase agreement for my, for my off-market properties that I buy and sell. And then if I have any things come up with uh, tenants that I, I purchase properties with tenants in it often, that's where you can kind of get better deals yeah. uh, on investments is when you buy a property with a troubled tenant, specifically in a rent controlled city like Oakland or Berkeley. Sometimes previous landlords just can't really get them out. So they're just like, you know what? I don't want this property anymore. I just got to move it and you deal with them. And so... That's where opportunity really knocks, right? Yeah, I've on, you know, over a dozen properties with a troubled tenant in it, and you just have to, you know, be kind, but you also have to do what's right. And if they're not paying rent or if they're a troubled tenant, you know, follow the legal steps and, and remove them from the property, and then, then you have your, your investment that's, you know, now just completely increased in price by having it be vacant and available to rehab and then resell. It's that's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's just huge. And I think that is the scariest thing for our buyers, our typical buyers out there, that they're not afraid to do some work on a property. But when somebody's living there and the idea of having to remove them from the property is just daunting, just absolutely daunting. Yeah, especially in a rent controlled city. I mean, I'm a pretty morally just person and I don't want to remove anyone from their home. But if they're you know, everything that the previous landlord is saying that they are, if they're a troubled tenant, they're damaging the property, they're not paying rent. Not paying rent. Yeah, the yeah. not paying rent thing is, is is a crazy thing. In, in Oakland, you can go, you know, sometimes over a year without paying rent and still be in, in a property and not be able to be removed. So it's it's kind of insane <laughs> that, that people are, are doing that. And can do that and have so many rights to doing that. And yeah, and you, I mean, I have seen nothing but very just behavior on your part in fairness. I think so, if you if you do that in a just way or, a, yeah. you know, morally sound way, it usually ends up working out in the end. Kind of making a win-win out yeah. of it to give them opportunity to move on. Right. Yeah. Even if they can't see it in the moment, they need to move on from the situation where they're causing havoc on other people. And that gives investors like me opportunity to make a property new again and, and rent it out to some new people and, and make the property better for the neighborhood. Well, that, you know, and that has always been how I've seen your business, very specifically your business, because 
although up to this point in our conversation, you have talked about this as just a business thing, business, business, business. And it is. You're entrepreneurial and it's it's your livelihood and you've got goals for whatever reasons, you know. A lot of that is mentally satisfying, I'm sure, as well as, you know, putting putting food on your table and clothes on your back, right? But I have always sort of seen it as we live in a world where reducing, reusing, and recycling is so, so, so important for our existence and our children's existence. And that is really how I view what you're doing. I mean, you're coming into these neighborhoods that are that need some inspiration. I mean, like the whole block needs some inspiration. And you kind of start that by going in there and not just oftentimes not bulldozing down the home, uh, kind of keeping the frame of it, keeping the architectural integrity of it and making it new again. And yeah, it's always like, been my mindset is... Um, you're in the recycling business. The way yeah, taking it. what looks terrible now but was once beautiful and restoring it back to that same beauty, even if it's on the verge of tipping over or falling over. We, we never you know, put that new, modern, huge monstrosity in a neighborhood. We try to inspire the the rest of the neighborhood to kind of to rebuild again because you know we can face it in my business we we buy properties in less than stellar neighborhoods a lot of the time yeah. and i would like to think that we've sparked some neighborhood growth and neighborhood development along the way even if we're just doing one house on a block you know a lot of times during our rehab process we start seeing that block clean up along the way you know other people are out there cleaning up their houses and fixing up their yards as we're fixing things along the way and it's just you know add some little motivation to the neighborhood to to spark up totally and i i mean i've seen you several times really get to know the neighbors yeah. and get them you know kind of bring them into it instead yeah of, we have a, like a community family type company where we want to you know incorporate everybody around us into kind of seeing what we're doing so i'm always whenever i'm out on a job site if i see a neighbor i'll invite them over and show them what we're doing and you know, how we're fixing things and how this house is going to be so beautiful when it's done. And, and also they get excited because they know that in some, some terms it, it raises their property value, for raises sure. their neighborhood. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's a win-win for, for everybody. It, re- it really is a win-win. Plus you're putting people to work. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of exciting. I, well, I find it very exciting. Yeah. One thing that was very touching to me when you first started selling the homes through our organization um, to the end user, the new buyer, the new owner, they would um, buyers would submit their offers, and sometimes they would submit. I may have had ten offers in front of us because these homes are so amazing, and people get very very excited about them. Yeah, I think our first one we did, we had seventeen offers. Remember? I think that was... Yeah. That was really amazing. And that was a home that I walked in at first and went, oh my God, I don't... Uh, this is too scary. But uh, <laughs> you, did a, you did a beautiful thing there. But one of the things that really touched me is that these buyers would submit their letters, their personal letters with the offer. And you read every one of those. And even though this is a business deal... Yeah. They they impact you for sure. Yeah, I remember most of the letters that we get. I think that's a huge thing in a competitive market: is submit a letter and make it be personal. Being on both sides of the coin, you know, I've been in the market when it was incredibly difficult to buy a house, and you know, I submitted offers on 
20 to 25 houses before I actually got my first primary residence. And we submitted a letter on each one, and um, some of the houses were flipped, and some of them were just to, to regular homeowners. But being on the other side of the coin now and selling to the first-time home buyer a lot of the times on a you know beautifully remodeled house, I like to try and see some kind of letter and see some kind of something on the other end to, to why they want to buy the house. And it always touches me when I, when I read something personal. And if both things being even, if you know two offers being even and one person writes the letter, obviously go with the person that wrote the letter. Yeah. You know, and it's nice to, to get some feedback on the property too. You know, guys like me that spend you know, three to six months on a place, they want to know that they did a good job. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And that people really appreciate it. And yeah. that we've maybe. gotten some, some good letters over the years. It's, I think it's definitely something that your listeners should submit to on, on every occasion. Write, yeah. write some kind of letter. I think, I think even, even if it's five or ten thousand dollars being the difference, I think some people will choose the the lesser price, but with a you know, heartfelt letter. I think that's it can happen that way. I think another great example of that that a lot of people really question this day and age because it is such a competitive market is the veteran using a VA loan trying to purchase a home right now is very, very challenging because with a veteran's loan, with a VA loan, there are contingencies built into that that have to be pretty much and some additional costs and um, many sellers are not interested in time. It takes a little bit more time with those loans, but we in fact recently had a home that you were selling that you received a offer from a VA buyer and you really, really, really wanted to make that work. Right. Yeah. I, I purchased my, my first house with a VA loan and it, that's what made it more difficult because the process is, you know, 45 to 55 days as opposed to as low as 20 days on a conventional loan or FHA is maybe 30 days or something like that. But VA has extra stringent um, inspections and and just putting paperwork through the VA to buy a house takes you know extra couple of weeks just right there but being a veteran and buying a house with a VA loan you know I like to see that a veteran does submit with their VA loan and I've been trying to make something work with a veteran over the years and I think on that one I really wanted that to happen yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah I wouldn't shy away from using a VA loan I mean I would I would if that's your option, just, just go with it, you know, write a letter, submit it and, uh, just go with it. If that's your option, the VA loan is a very good loan. I mean, you have to have almost nothing down, very low, low points and, and everything. So the, the VA does a good job with, with that, but in the Bay area being such a competitive market, it's tough, but I would, uh, I wouldn't discourage people from using it, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. a really well-deserved benefit, obviously, right. and it's a great loan and, I think we need to really encourage that in the marketplace. I know we've we've represented several buyers with VA loans and don't give up VA buyers. We up. can find <laughs> you something. Yeah. We can find you something and there's other realtors that really specialize in VA purchases and I think it's a great thing. Yeah, I think yeah, there, I think there was a stigma for a long time on the VA loan because when I bought a property it took 65 days. Holy that was in 2012, but I think they've they've really cut it down. I think it's a little bit quicker now, so I think the stigma should be removed a little bit off the VA loan. I think they've gotten it down to you know 50, 45 days. So 
Absolutely. I think we should get the word out on the VA loans. Not so bad. Okay. The word is out. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Let's see more of those VA purchases. No, I think that's all good conversation. Now, let's talk about more fun things like, what was your favorite property remodel? Do you have a favorite? I have one favorite. It was actually a property in Mill Valley. It was kind of a crazy deal. Nothing much needed to be done, just new floors. But the property sat on a huge hillside in the back like cove of Mill Valley. And every night that we were there until five or six o'clock at night, the fog rolled in over this hill and kind yeah. of engulfed the house. And it was just so, so awesome that I wanted to like, you know, buy it for myself or, yeah. or whatever. But it, I mean, it just wouldn't work out for, for that purpose, but it was just amazing. We put these wide plank flooring in there. It was kind of the only thing we did. And we put in 12 inch wide by 10 foot long planks of floor throughout oh, the house. Wow. And it just turned out to be just pretty amazing. Gorgeous. And it was it was such a simple house to, to flip. It only took, you know, 10 days. So the simplicity of it and the beauty of it kind of made it my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> I wish everyone could, could, could do that because we made our standard flipping amount on it. But it only took 10 days. and Just uncomplicated and a gorgeous yeah. property. I, I like all the f- houses that we flip. I like a challenge and problem solving. Every property turns into this puzzle that you got to piece back together. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. But... That one was so easy and nice. <laughs> Probably my favorite one. <laughs> that's funny. That's, yeah. That's funny, though, that it's your simplest one. I have, I have favorites that I've seen you uh, remodel and resell. And, I mean, just your design, the cottagey kind of design that's sort of become your signature. Is, it, it's so beautiful. And you make sure with every home to really change that to fit the personality of the house and the neighborhood and the buyer and all of that, which is really great. What was your most unusual project? It was one of the, the first ones we did. Uh, we bought two houses right next door to each other in Berkeley. I was wondering if you would say this oh one because I certainly think it was the most unusual. Yeah. So they're, they were both, I think the first one... Uh, on the lot was like 1200 square feet and the other one was 750 square feet yeah and we went back and forth with the city of berkeley of what we could do with these properties and they basically didn't really give us too many options except for just rehab what was there and just kind of leave it because the one was semi-historical being the old um, general store for the railroad so they didn't really let us do too much with it except for just rehab what was there right. um, we did convert one of the garages into this huge beautiful living room off the kitchen but the construction of it was obviously constructed by an individual back in 1910 not a contractor so there was just so many things out of plane off level just it was a a nightmare from start to finish Uh, and dealing with the city of berkeley is is real difficult they're real stringent on their their codes and inspections and their their permit process is probably the longest in the Bay Area. And then having two houses right next to each other in construction for, I think it was 10 months or 11 months or something like that. Yeah, it was pretty insane. But both houses turned out to be incredibly pretty and they're still... Yeah, just darling well. homes. Yeah. But the battle with the municipalities, right? The battle with the right. city was so time intensive. Yeah, we, we take that into account when we buy a property because we know when we run the permits 
how long is it going to take? You know, how long is that going to add up for, for our cost? And there's a few cities in the Bay that are, you know, everything's over the counter, same day, perfect, easy. Uh, and there's some cities like Berkeley. Berkeley, not where, so much. You know, they have to send out letters to the neighborhood. They have to ask everyone's opinion on you know, a new window or a new roof shingle, all this different stuff. So, And um, I think in to like, throw gasoline on the fire they were redoing their planning department or moving it or something at the yeah time. they were shifting from uh paper to digital at the same time we were trying to process our permits at that time well, that was exciting like to be part months. of yeah. that right yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, what about your your greatest reward what what's been your greatest reward in doing all of this i think my greatest reward is just owning my own business and not working for somebody else, you know, actually converting this real estate investing into a full-time job uh, as opposed to working for, for someone else, working my previous job in construction or working for a municipality. It's just rewarding just to be out on my own and making real estate investing an actual business, a full-scale business, as opposed to something you just do on the side or just do, you know, passively. I found a way to make this, you know, a day-to-day business and build a bunch of relationships through real estate that are, you know, I have a ton of friends that I've just made from, from flipping houses. It's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, really. There's a lot of reward in, in completely driving your own, driving your own path, right? Or yeah, you know, making your you own path. Kim Cole real estate. It's, it's nice having your name on the door. It's the <laughs> scariest thing I think in the whole world having your own business or making that it decision is. to going in into it and it's not a situation of I'm going to work less and delegate more. It's I'm going to work Stop more and thing. work more and work more. But yeah, just knowing that you're the one in charge, you can make it or you can break it. And yeah. um I mean at the end of the day what you're doing, you are making people's lives better out there and that's just so <laughs> exciting. I mean, the value of a home and you're yeah. bringing a beautiful home to uh, people that are really, really embracing that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's the best part of flipping houses is the end product, having someone love it and know how much work you put into it, for sure. Cool. It's rewarding. Well, it sounds like this is the way to end on a really great note, but I'm going to ask you one more question. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, you know, most of our most of our audience are buyers trying to do um, trying to do the best for themselves in terms of their real estate investment, and you know, both on a financial side and an emotional side. And what what's like a closing bit of advice that you could give them in um, buying a home? I would say the most important thing in the Bay Area market is just be persistent and don't give up. Um, I've talked to dozens and dozens of home buyers that have put offers in for years, basically trying to find their dream house. And um, I say just persistency is the key in the Bay Area. And you'll get a house, but I would say just stick with it. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Brent, thanks so much for no being problem. with us today. Thanks for having me. Today's show was sponsored by Minimo. Minimo is Jack London's independent, woman-owned wine shop and wine bar, specializing in small production, natural wines, and ciders. This hits home for my heart. More than a wine shop, Minimo is a gathering spot, offering a unique selection of natural wines by the glass, 
with focused wine tastings every Wednesday evening and all day on Saturday. If you haven't been to Minimo, you are missing something special. Erin and her team are extremely knowledgeable, approachable, and can magically pick you the perfect bottle. Thanks for listening today, and please check us out on Real 510 on iTunes. To find out even more, visit our website, kimcolerealestate.com. We're a boutique real estate brokerage, women-owned and team-enacted with a focus on urban luxury housing. We are located in Oakland's Jack London Square, serving Oakland and the greater Bay Area.